Welcome to the Side Hustle to Small Business podcast powered by Hiscox. I'm your host, Sanjay Parekh. Throughout my career, I've had side hustles, some of which have turned into real businesses. But first and foremost, I'm a serial technology entrepreneur. In the creator space, we hear plenty of advice on how to hustle harder and why you can sleep when you're dead. On this show, we ask new questions in hopes of getting new answers. Questions like, how can small businesses work smarter? How do you achieve balance between work and family? How can we redefine success in our businesses so that we don't burn out after year three? Every week, I sit down with business founders at various stages of their side hustle to small business journey. These entrepreneurs are pushing the envelope while keeping their values. Keep listening for conversation, context, and camaraderie. Sean Fury is not your average small business owner. Sean grew up in Methuen, Massachusetts, about 30 miles north of Boston. When he was in high school at Methuen High School, he began throwing javelin. Turns out, Sean was really good at throwing javelin. Fast forward 12 years, and Sean represented the United States in the 2012 Olympics in London. Four years later, he qualified and competed in the 2016 Olympics in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Amazing story, right? But why is he on the show today? Well, Sean knows a thing or two about athleticism. He's channeled his love of fitness and sports into his business, Fury Athletics. Fury Athletics is a coaching and online training resource with the mission of helping power athletes and coaches of all ages and experience levels realize their dreams and maximize their potential. Here to talk more about his story and his business is Sean Fury. Sean, welcome to the Side Hustle to Small Business podcast. All right. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. So look, you've got a fascinating background, but uh, I, I want to understand it like from the bits and pieces first. So tell us a little bit about you and like where were you born and raised and, and kind of early part of life. Uh, where did that all happen? Okay. Yes. Yeah, so I'm from Methuen, Massachusetts, which is about 30 minutes north of Boston. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, I'm glad you said that because I was going to have to stop you and say like, where is Methuen? Because I've yeah. never heard of Methuen. <laughs> yeah, Methuen. Uh, yeah, so uh, grew up in Methuen, Massachusetts, uh, went to college up in New Hampshire at, at Dartmouth College, uh, and was, I, I, you know, probably my big claim to fame was, was being a javelin thrower. So I did track in college through the javelin for, uh, for four years there, uh, then moved to San Diego shortly after college, was there for about 11 years, and now, now I'm back uh, on the East Coast in Barrington, Rhode Island. So it's, uh, you know, just south of Providence. And I live here with my wife and, uh, and two kids. Okay. So, uh, javelin thrower. So you were doing that in college. Mm -hmm. When did you first realize that, you know, like of all the things that you can throw, uh, I guess there's not that many, right? Discus, shot put, javelin. Uh, I think that's it, right? Is it, is, it, is there any more beyond in, that? In the hammer throw. Yep. So that, Oh, the hammer throw, of yeah, course. Yeah. yeah. So the hammer throw. So uh, when did you decide, like, I want to throw things and of the things that I want to throw, I want to throw the javelin. Yeah. People always ask me that question. So I think my whole life, I knew I wanted to throw things, right? So I was a kid just hucking rocks, uh, playing catch with myself, throwing a football back and forth over the roof of my house. But I played football in, in high school and was the quarterback in the, the track. The football coach was the track coach. So he made everyone go out for track. Uh, I know I did all the events, hurdles, pole vault, high jump, things like that. And then it was, uh, you know, javelin tryout day. And the coach said, hey, you, you're a quarterback. Why don't you try this? And I wasn't that good. I was kind of small early on in high school, but but really loved it. Uh, so, you know, after after uh, trying it, I was in my yard throwing hockey sticks and, and golf clubs. 
and uh, and then it just progressed. So really, Javelin chose me. I I, I did play football in, in college as well, uh, but it ended up being Javelin was the thing that I was the best at. So I, I'd love to be a quarterback for the Patriots, but uh, instead, you know, I, I spent my time uh, mastering the Javelin, which was uh, you know equally as fulfilling. Yeah, it, it seems like, and we'll talk about it in a minute, but it, it seems like he did okay uh, doing doing the javelin. So I, I'm trying to understand too, like this was one of the things, like I watch all of the the events um, in the Olympics, uh, but I never have like a sense, like you, you have a sense of some of the other sports of how many people are competing uh, to be a, a kind of the top tier of that. Like I have no sense in terms of javelin, like how many, how many people, people do this in the U.S.? Like, how big of a club is it? And, and how many people do you actually know that throw javelin as well? Yeah, the, the world becomes very small uh, when you're, you're thinking in terms of your, your javelin throw group. So it's, it's awesome that I've made friends from, from all over the world. But in terms of the U.S., there are only 17 states, at least, you know, my last check, there were 17 states that did this in high school, uh, Massachusetts being, being one of them. So I was pretty lucky that I grew up there. And then, you know, javelin is an event in, in every college track and field program. So uh, I, I think that it's, uh, you know, personally, I think it's the best event, but, but uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, uh, a primary event in, in college uh, track and field. So in terms of the numbers, I can't give you an ex- exact number of, of the number of people that throw the javelin in the United States. I should probably uh, remember that statistic. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it's obviously a lot smaller. If you're saying there's, there's only 17 states um, that have programs at, at a, you said a high school level, right? Yes. I mean, that your, your numbers are just going to dwindle from there. Right. So that, that's a tough thing. So is that, does that impact how we as a country compete at an Olympic level, um, in, in that sport? Yeah. So that's a, that's a great, great question. And, and there's a lot of discussion that, that goes on, uh, uh, about that. So, you know, the United States is a, a big country. So I think the number of javelin throwers we have throwing at the the youth and high school level is still greater than many of the countries like Germany, Finland, Norway, Czech Republic that are very good in winning medals. So it may not be a numbers game. It may be, you know, the uh, the coaching and the technique. So there's a big discrepancy between how you throw a javelin and how you throw a baseball or a football. So a lot of the Americans, even the ones that are doing it in high school, are have, have bad bad habits and are throwing with a different you know, technique and kinetic chain uh, than you, uh, than you should. Uh, so, uh, it, there's always that debate, you know, are we getting the top talent? Because even in the, the top countries, you know, hockey, soccer, take away the best athletes or the best athletes. So <laughs> there's always, there's always the, the question, is it, we're coaching the wrong technique or is it that we don't have the talent pool? So, yeah. you know, I personally believe that it's more the right technique, that uh, that there's there's plenty of talent to go around, and it's not just that baseball, football, basketball are stealing the best athletes. Yeah. Uh, but but that's my opinion. Yeah, it, that's interesting. It seems like it might be actually two parts of that, right? Because if you're only doing 17 out of 50 states, there's a lot of kids that that were missing. But then also the the countries that you were talking about, um, a lot of those don't have baseball and football to give you those bad throwing techniques. So maybe they're, they're learning the right techniques from the get-go. Uh, and so maybe it's a, it's a, this, and instead of this or a problem that we've got. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's a good point. Yeah. So, okay. So you, you went to the Olympics twice. Yes. Yeah. 
What was that experience like? It was amazing. You know, I uh, and and which which Olympics were were that were that that you went to? So it was 2016 in London, uh, and then it was I'm, I'm sorry, 2012 in London and 2016 in Rio. Okay. Uh, yep. So I v- very different experiences, I'm sure, between those two different countries. Yes, I think I was extremely fortunate uh, to you know to have gone to those two Olympics. My first experience in London. Obviously, it gets a little bit easier when the native language is is English, and you know, and uh, the United Kingdom just did a, a great job hosting. They bent over backwards. It was like every person, every volunteer you met was the nicest person uh, on earth. Um, and then Rio, oh my God, the South American culture and the laid back atmosphere. The Olympic Village, you know, in Rio, you kind of felt like you were on the outskirts of of the jungle, which kind of you were. <laughs> and uh, it just had this this atmosphere, even though you know at the time of of Rio. The Zika virus and mosquitoes was kind of the big thing, so you're a little bit nervous there. Uh, but it was uh, it was a great atmosphere, and I think some of the performances in 2016 showed how that uh, how that that atmosphere really led to top performances. I think there were a lot of Olympic records set, uh, especially in the field events um, at, at the at the Rio Games. So so let's uh, understand. So as you're uh, preparing for this, you moved to to San Diego. Mm-hmm. Um, to go to the training, we have a training facility. I'm assuming there for javelin. Yes, so it's it's the Olympic Training Center. It's in Chula Vista, just north of the uh, the United States Mexico border, and there are many multiple sports that train there. So we have track and field, archery, uh, field hockey, rugby. Uh, so there's there's a large group. It's an amazing facility. I spent 11 years there training. So you get you know the the top coaching, medical, nutrition, sports psychology advice, as well as being surrounded by other you know Olympic hopefuls. So kind of the steel start sharpen steel effect where uh, you're all just making each other better. Right. So during those 11 years, then are you working any jobs? Are you like are you doing anything? Like how do you support yourself for 11 years? Yes, yes. So I did. I was uh, a little bit a unique of of a situation where, you know, coming out of college, I wasn't what you would call uh, an, an Olympic shoe in. You know, I was. I I got third at the NCAA championships and was all American, but I wasn't. You know internationally ranked, but I had, you know, in my heart, the, the dream and the, the belief that I can make it. And I was lucky enough to, to, you know, go to Dartmouth college and get a degree in engineering and get a job right out of school working for Raytheon, uh, Raytheon technologies as a mechanical engineer. So I worked full-time for them right out of school. And then was actually able to transfer to part-time when I moved to San Diego to work for a facility there. So it was, uh, it was a situation where I was almost funding my own, uh, my own development where I didn't qualify for, you know, uh, you know, USA track and field, the U S Olympic committee funding. I didn't have sponsorships, so I had to pay my own bills. And I did that by working a part-time uh, mechanical engineering job, which, you know, I was very fortunate to do. So, uh, during that development period, yeah, I was working, working as an engineer as well. Yeah. I, I don't remember, uh, like I've never seen, I don't think a, a javelin thrower on a box of Wheaties or anything. So I was assuming that there's not, there's not big sponsor. That's probably a third part of the issue, mm-hmm. uh, with us having, uh, you know, enough athletes that do, uh, javelin throwing is that there's probably not the sponsors there. And I, I'm not sure why we don't have that too, because it's pretty cool. I can't throw anything worth a darn. And so and yeah. we all throw them so far. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's true. So I think you need probably need to be like top 10, top 10 in the world to, to be making your living off of, off of javelin. So if you took, you know, all of the javelin throwers in the world and saw who was making a living, most of them are, are people who are probably funded by their country. Uh, and then maybe the top 
five to 10 are actually sponsored athletes from a shoe company, you know, Nike, Adidas, uh, Mizuno, something like that, and make enough money to, to live off of. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think there's a chance I could break the top million uh, <laughs> with the way that I throw things. So, okay. So this experience then, um, you're basically, you're, you're basically hustling to further your Olympic kind of dreams, your athletic dreams, mm-hmm. uh, by working and then doing this at some point in this, is this when you really started thinking like, Hey, I want to, I want to do something on the side. I want to do something entrepreneurial or, or did you do something entrepreneurial when you were younger first? And, and this kind of just grew out of that. So it was really after I had retired and, and I had energy and, and time and, a and still a burning interest in not only javelin, but everything that I had learned. Right. So just the almost like taking the engineering design process. So this strategic process of how you're going to achieve a goal. And I had applied that to my athletic career and, and then wanting to, you know, to continue to do that. And maybe if I couldn't do it with myself, because, you know, I'm getting a little bit older and the wheels are starting to fall off. I I wanted to pass that on to the next generation. So, you know, that, that is really what drove my interest to, to, do something entrepreneurial, uh, to, to have my, my own business where I'm, I'm helping athletes with the desire, with a goal to achieve that by, you know, just setting up a framework. You know, I'm not going to, uh, to be the one that, that makes them succeed, but I can, I can help them, you know, light the path a little bit based on my experience and the research that, that I've done and other people have done. So this is for you right now, this is kind of truly a side hustle still uh, because you're doing this. So the company is Fury Athletics. Yes. Um, you're helping uh, people and, and doing coaching with them, but you've got a, a full-time job and you're still with Raytheon? Yes, that's true. Yep. Yeah. So I'm now, you know, I've been at Raytheon for 16 years. Uh, I'm a, I'm a lead mechanical engineer. So I'm, you know, I'm leading a team as we develop different products uh, and it's, it's uh, very rewarding. I get to, you know, work with a lot of very enthusiastic engineers, um, you know, achieving technical goals and, uh, and, you know, Fury Athletics is, is very similar. So it's, I, I look at this and I, and I try to find the similarities so that if I ever get down on my day job, it's like, this is making me better for, for the thing I'm most passionate about as well. Uh, there's, there's so much crossover between, you know, designing, um, you know, some type of complex device and achieving a complex athletic goal. So that, that's kind of where I'm at right now, splitting my time between those two things. So, so you got to tell me, Sean, uh, and I'm sure this happens. Uh, how many times a day does somebody ask you to throw things at, at work? At, at I, I, I'm sure this is happening. Yeah, yeah, I've 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 been asked that a couple times. Uh, maybe not so much a demonstration, but you know, how far could you throw this or, or that? <laughs> <laughs> and, and the answer is always further yeah. than you. Yeah, I can always throw it further than you. Support for this podcast comes from Hiscox committed to helping small businesses protect their dreams since 1901. Quotes and information on customized insurance for specific risks are available at Hiscox.com. Hiscox, the business insurance experts. Uh, Okay, so when you decided to start up Fury Athletics, um, how is it that you got your your first client? Like, how did that happen? And when did you realize like, okay, yeah, this this is something real that people want? Yeah, so uh, it's it's it was mostly through word of mouth. Like I, I think I mentioned earlier, the the world gets very small when you start to talk about the, the javelin community. So I had, you know, I started this without any any customers. It was like 
I know that that this is what I want to do. So I, you know, started the website because I wanted to have some place for people to reach me through and and to get the, to get the word out. And uh, and right when I was finished that, I, I got an uh, an email through that through that contact uh, link from uh, it was actually pretty amazing. The national high school champion in the decathlon, uh, his, his father had contacted me and wanted a little bit of help with with javelin. And I guess he had been at a clinic and somebody gave him my name. Um, and that was that was really how I got my my first customer was was a referral from, you know, from a, a good friend uh, who who also was another top coach in another part of the country. Uh, so so that was uh, th- that's the story there. Yeah. So that that actually, you know, that does expand your circle a little, a little bit, right? It's not just javelin throws, but decathletes mm-hmm. have to throw the javelin as well. And and they are, you know, I've had the honor of meeting one, uh, Dan O'Brien, who oh, yeah. got the gold here in Atlanta. Um, he does a, a bunch of work here in Atlanta um, for a, a large organization. And, I, and we happen to be together at, at this event. Um, and just fascinating what those folks have to do, right? Like that's that's a whole nother level uh, versus, you know, no disrespect to you and, and the other athletes that do one one sport, but to do that many and have to be at least decent at all of them, it's just, it's mind-blowing. So um, your first client being a decathlete is just phenomenal. Like, what, what did you learn from them? You you were probably learning a bunch of stuff from them as well. Yeah, so I, I've been so fortunate to train at the Olympic Training Center and and as well as be on so many international teams where I get to be good friends uh, and, and observe training of some of the top athletes that, uh, that are around. So I've seen decathletes throw the javelin for many years. And there's, there's been some top decathletes that lived and trained in Chula Vista alongside me. So it's always been, uh, I've, I've, I've seen the challenges, right? There's some decathletes who are very good. They're, you know, kind of supple, natural throwers. And there's other decathletes who are super athletes and you just can't believe why they can't throw the javelin farther uh, because they're a little bit stiff. So I think that had been something that I was interested in for a long time. In addition, my wife is a multi-eventer. She did track at, at, at Dartmouth College. I had some background in the multi-events, so I, I wasn't too far away from them. So I think I'm, uh, I was very happy to, to work out some of the, the, the strategies or techniques that, that I had worked with previously with some you know training partners uh, of how to get someone who is extremely explosive, uh, extremely fast and strong, how to get that energy into the javelin. Um, so it, uh, it was, it was an honor to be able to, to work with him and to, to work with someone who can pick up movements just so quickly. So I find this super interesting. So you've, uh, you are a multi-eventer as well then, but mm-hmm. you, you went to the Olympics for the javelin. Mm-hmm. How do you feel like that experience, um, has helped you in being an entrepreneur? Because entrepreneurship you know, a lot of people think it's it's just, hey, you do the thing that you love, but there's a lot of stuff that you have to deal with uh, when you're starting up a company, right? Like there's stuff that nobody tells you about. It's the ugly side. It's the non-fun side. Like, right. How do you think that has helped you? And, and and maybe the engineering part has helped you as well in, in terms of tuning you to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. I feel like it's a culmination of everything that I've done in my life that that's helping me. Um, so in terms of the engineering, it's it's the uh, you know being able to take a structured approach, right? Having concrete goals, schedules, uh, and laying laying things out, as well as the ability to learn new tasks quickly, right? So from designing a website, uh, getting an LLC going, taxes, all that kind of stuff. There's like just an endless amount of things that I have to learn, and uh, and I think I have some experience doing that in my engineering job. And then with the 
with the sports background, I think the, the sports psychology that I learned and the mindset that I, I, I developed as an athlete is, is really helping me here. So as an athlete, you would, you would have a lot of ups and downs. And as your career goes on, you learn to not get too excited about the ups and don't get too worried about the downs. And, and, that, and, and you focus on the process, focus on what you can control and keep those goals in your, in your, uh, you know, in your line of sight and know that you have the confidence that you're going to achieve it. And it's the same with, with this entrepreneurial uh, endeavor where I, I kind of say, I, some, night, some mornings I wake up with a, an ambition hangover. <laughs> if you had a really productive day or you had these big goals, these big uh, ideas the day before, you wake up in the morning like, oh, how am I going to do that? And, uh, and I think I, now I understand that there's going to be ups and downs. You're not going to, you're not going to have the, you're going to set the world on fire every day. So I can kind of work through the days when I'm a little bit down and, and conserve energy and focus on the process, focus on, you know, what goals I have outlined or what like, you know, small steps. And then when the days that I'm feeling great, you know, I can, I can let it go, but try not to burn myself out because I know that, you know, what goes up must come down. So yeah, I feel lucky that I, I'm able to have this, this uh, activity, this, uh, you know, trying to build this company that pulls everything together like that. Yeah, that is, that is great advice, by the way, the, the ups and downs, that is quintessential uh, entrepreneurship right there. So um, thinking about that, like you've got a lot going on in life, right? Like you've got uh, Fury Athletics, mm -hmm. you've got a full-time job, uh, you've got a wife and you've got two kids. How do you balance all of these things to make sure that everything is still functioning properly and and, and nothing is is getting uh, ignored along the way? Yeah, that, that's a great question. I almost feel grateful for uh, for having so many things because it forced me to set my my priorities and understand what my values really are. So my family's always going to be the first priority. And that's, that's really why, you know, one of the driving reasons that I want to have this business for myself is so that it's, you know, really on my own time and, and I can carve out the, the, the exact amount of time I want for my, for my family to be with my family. And that's, like I said, the most important thing to me. Uh, so, you know, I'm a, a very black and white concrete type of guy. I made a schedule, you know, like the, this is what I'm going to do every hour of the day that I'm awake and I'm going to attribute different hours to family, to work, to Fury Athletics, to, you know, personal things. And then I can see, okay, this is, this is broken up the way that I want it to be. And then I, that's the target. I'm not always going to hit it, uh, but at least I have a framework and I understand that, okay, these are the al hours allocated to this. These are the hours allocated to that. And that, that breakdown, that percentage reflects my priorities. So I'm not overscheduling myself or, or I don't have unrealistic expectations of I'm going to accomplish, you know, so much on Fury Athletics. Um, and then I'm going to be ignoring my family or something like that. I've kind of tried to create a structure that reflects, you know, the balance that I wanted to. So, okay. So you use, uh, your, your big tool, it sounds like is a yep. schedule, but are there any other like great tools that you use that, man, if this didn't exist, I wouldn't be able to really run fury or, or, or run my life. Well, like, is there something that is like the, the key to the, the kingdom there? Uh, so I, I say I would keep it pretty simple with, with the schedule is my, is my, um, is my main tool. So I think one of the techniques is called the, you know, the, the unschedule. So what are the areas that I have to do? When do I have to be at my, my main job? Right. And when, you know, 
it's a mandatory thing that I, I have family time. So when is the family time that's non-negotiable? And then when can I fill that in? And then when I have that framework and that recurring schedule and I can get into a groove, um, that's when I, I really feel like I can get in the zone and, and make progress and, and anticipate when I'm going to have more time, less time. Yeah. So I, I, I would say, you know, the schedule is my, is my, my main tool. That that's the main tool. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. So, um, looking for now for you, uh, a piece of advice, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of people that are probably listening to this that are, are teetering on the edge of starting their own side hustle. Um, you kind of came into it somewhat naturally, right? Because you, you retired and you still wanted to stay involved and you knew that you had a lot of experience, but for other folks, what do you advise them in terms of when to decide to, to kind of jump in and do a side hustle and, and kind of do things uh, kind of like how you've done them? Yeah. So I would say I'm one example of, of maybe a more gradual approach, right? So there's probably two ends of the spectrum where there's the, the Spartan method of burn the boats. And it's like, I'm going it, to, it's not really a side hustle then, but it's like, I'm going to go and do this. And that's really successful because, you know, for Spartans, you can't go back, (laughs) right? There's no boat to swim home. We have to move forward and we have to succeed. Uh, So, you know, I wasn't in the, in the situation to do that. That's, uh, that's not a risk I was willing to put, uh, put on my family. So I took a more gradual approach, kind of the experimentation method. So, so my advice would be if you're not, uh, you're not going to take the, the, the just jump and, and go all in, that you can find small ways to to experiment and and to make steps forward, and that probably starts with getting a very clearly defined set of you know principles and, and a mission of of what do you want to do, what why do you want to do this, what is the service that you want to provide, and and every day take little steps moving forward to uh, to getting closer to, to having a, a company uh, or some concepts that that fulfill that. So okay, uh, yeah, I love that. Um... And so, you know, in this process that you've been going through then, um, for you, what do you define success as for your side hustle? Yeah. So, and this has been been evolving and, and getting more defined as the years go on. So success is going to be when, you know, I can support myself and can support my family uh, through education uh, of others surrounding, you know, the, the, the topics that I love so much dealing with sports and fitness. So really I want to be giving services to, to athletes who are, are interested in, in achieving goals. And I, this isn't just javelin throw javelin throwers, but any, any overhand throwing, any power athlete, and, and maybe it'll expand over time. Uh, but if, if I can provide services to those athletes, help them achieve their goals, avoid some of the problems that I experienced and, and get higher than, than the level that I experienced, um, and, and support my family while, while doing that, that's a success. And, you know, in, entailed in that is me learning more and, and really getting paid to become uh, smarter and a better educator about the, the topics that I love so much. So I think that's really the dream is I love throwing the javelin. I loved uh, pursuing the Olympic Games. And I want to continue, uh, maybe not as an athlete, but but as a coach, learning more and more about that, really understanding what is the best way and and how can you help people uh, you know, achieve goals like that. Uh, so long-winded answer, but, but that's what I want to do. <laughs> no, that's a great answer and I love it. Okay, so I've got two final questions for you and they're about the javelin because we've talked about it this whole time. Yeah. Um, one is a personal question because I've never understood this. 
Um, so first, why is the javelin so floppy? So we see you guys uh, and gals run out there with it, right? You're going to the line, and the thing yeah. is is just flexing all over the place. Why is it that way? Because it seems like it'd be better if it was stiff, and yeah. obviously that's not the case. Why is it so floppy? Yeah, so maybe a little correction. Um, you may have been watching a little bit too much Revenge of the Nerds if you're seeing <laughs> if you're if, if you're seeing uh, javelins flopping when people are running. Because typically they are stiff. And that is, you know, one of the design characteristics is making the javelin, you know, as stiff as possible without, uh, if they're too stiff, you potentially could you know, have an arm injury. But most javelins are, are so stiff that they're not going to flop when you're running. You would see in these nice, beautiful, slow motion pictures of, yeah, the javelin. And that's only- They, they do flex though, oh, right? Like yes, I, I, yeah. I do see them flexing yes. the, the front and the back yes. from where the hand is. So Yes, that's that's true. So that, And that's when you're, when you're throwing it. It's because you're watching people who are absolute beasts put a lot of energy into the javelin, right? So when you're designing a javelin, you'd like to minimize that that flex, but okay. they're really, you can't, you can't eliminate it. So if you're watching the current, uh, you know, best guy in the world from Germany, Johannes Vetter, you're going to see the javelin almost bending in half because of the power this, this guy can, can put into the javelin. And, uh, and it's not always directed right through the axis, the long axis of the javelin. It's, it's kind of across the shaft. So you're going to get that oscillation. I see. Okay. So the design intent is not for it to do that, but these people are just beasts is what you're telling me. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's the, the, the short answer. <laughs> okay. Okay. Got it. Uh, makes a lot of sense. Okay. So if we happen to have um, somebody out there that wants to be the next great javelin thrower, mm -hmm. what's like the one best trick uh, or tip you can give them and, and maybe one biggest thing that they should avoid doing so that they can go and, and go on to the Olympics just like you? Yeah, so I would say uh, being a well-rounded athlete is is the number one priority, right? So it's it's going to be no no one thing, right? So if you're if you're spending all your time lifting or you're spending all of your time throwing, then then you're probably not training the right way. Javelin throwers, you need to be in shape from your fingernails to your toenails, and you need to be a very well-rounded, robust athlete, and that means doing a lot of diverse things. So I think you know someone in high school who's playing multiple sports. Um, getting a lot of just dynamic experience is going to be well suited to to continue the sport and and move up uh, you know move up the ranks. That that is uh, awesome advice, uh, and I got to tell you, Sean, I am going to be watching the javelin next time a lot more differently uh, because of this uh, of this talk. Sean, thanks so much for coming on to the the side hustle of the small business podcast. Really appreciate it. Learned a lot. All right, thanks, Sanjay. It was great to be here. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Side Hustle to Small Business Podcast, powered by Hiscox. To learn more about how Hiscox can help protect your small business through intelligent insurance solutions, visit hiscox.com. That's H-I-S-C-O-X.com. And if you have a story that you want to hear on this podcast, please visit hiscox.com slash share your story. I'm your host, Sanjay Park. You can find me on Twitter at, at Sanjay, that's S-A-N-J-A-Y, or on my website at sanjayparik.com.